Last week, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, we're, we're still in our year-long journey through the Bible. Um, this is week 44 of our Bible reading plan. That's, that's amazing. 52 weeks in a year, we're in week 44. Um, you know, I don't know what the ups and downs of sticking with the reading plan has looked like for you guys, but even just walking through the scripture together on Sundays has just been really life-giving and enriching um, for me, and I believe God's really using that in our midst. Um, but we're in a little bit of a mini-series as we close out the year, um, as we're moving into the portion of Scripture that really focuses on the church, who we are in Christ, who we're called to be, how we cultivate healthy relationship with Him, how we, how we operate in real, meaningful community with each other, like even here at this specific body, but also we are a part of the body of Christ. We are a small part of the church in Knoxville. We're a small part of the church globally. And so how are we to interact with one another? And then ultimately, the scripture talks a lot about who the church is called to be as a light to a world that needs hope and needs Jesus. And so my, my prayer is that God would capture our hearts as we work through this. Um, my hope, I said this last week in kind of a joking way, like I'm not looking to preach a series of sermons where we all sit back and go, I agree with all of that and just go, cool, I agree with that. We're on the right track. My, my real hope is that we would have some honest reflection. God, is there anywhere in this that you wanna stretch me? You wanna grow me? Is there something that's, that's flat out just wrong and off that needs to change? Would I be open to that? Or maybe there's just some areas where there's nothing necessarily wrong, but maybe he just, he wants to strengthen me a little bit. He wants to, me to move into some new territory in my walk with him. And so my prayer is that we would all be open to that. Um, I, I opened this last week and I want to say it again here. Like, I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I, I'm, I'm always concerned of what's happening in the world around us. I mean, in each circumstance of life, I think we can look and find really good reason to be concerned about what's happening in the world around us. But in truth, friends, we should expect that. It's a broken, fallen world that needs Jesus. And so the circumstances around us that are nearby in our own lives will be challenging at times. And when we look at the culture around us, whether it's in our own backyard here in Knoxville or, or our, our country or just the world itself, like we're going to see things that are discouraging, heartbreaking, that might even cause us to feel down and in despair. But but friends, when I say I'm discouraged, that, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what concerns me. What has concerned me in the recent months is the church's response in the midst of the circumstances that are going on. The church's response is concerning to me. Um, and the truth is God's highlighted some stuff in my own heart that is concerning, that I, I want him to shift and to change. And so, friends, as the, as the carriers of hope to a world in need, as the people who have already an established leader in our lives, we've elected King Jesus. That's settled. And so as the people who have Jesus as our king, my, my question for all of us is this, are we truly allowing him to be king? And I believe that much of what we see externally that is broken and off, it would be repaired if the church walked in the true power that God has given us. 
And so I believe power needs to be restored to the church. And so last Sunday, we talked about the power of the gospel, not just as good news to those externally that need him, although it's essential, but that the church operate in gospel power. That I'm, I'm letting God remind me of the good news. That I don't fall into being judgmental, that I don't fall into being hypocritical, that I don't fall into just a complacent religious practices instead of living a life empowered by the good news of Jesus. And then that we would be carriers of that. And so we looked at some of the brokenness in our culture and we looked at some of the brokenness within the church and just simply said, the answer to this is the good news of the gospel. In fact, we read in Romans 1.16, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the people of God and to, and to outsiders. It is the gospel that is the power of God to change things. All right, so that's where we've been. So here's where we're going this morning. As we move into 1 Corinthians, we're gonna talk this morning about the power of love. The power of love. The church needs to recapture the power of love. And so let's pray and prepare our hearts and then we're gonna jump into this this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are love defined. You are love. We thank you that you pour out your love. One of the, the clearest expressions of your love is, is your son, Jesus, who came for us sacrificially. Jesus, we glorify you that you gave your life on our behalf and that you love us faithfully and eternally. God, we thank you that in your love, you have poured out your Holy Spirit into our lives. And that your intent is that your spirit would be poured out over all the earth. And so God, as your church, we wanna say yes to your spirit's presence. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do the work that only you can do in us. May you reveal the power of the love of God in our hearts. And may you shape us into people of love. Holy Spirit, that as you permeate our hearts and our lives, that we would just soak up your love like a sponge and that as we operate through this life, when people come in contact with us, your love just squeezes out. People get showered and refreshed by your love. God, open up this word to our hearts. Help us to see what you want us to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, we're talking about the power of love. We're primarily gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a couple other places we'll check out as we go. But I wanna talk to you guys about the power of love in, in three ways. First of all, it's a new way of life. The power of love, it's a new way of life. Secondly, I wanna talk about um, the definition of love. We've got to define love according to the way God defines it. And then thirdly, just towards the end, we're just gonna look at kind of the, the power, the influence of God's love, 
All right? So that's kind of where we're heading this morning. So a new way of life. Now, I think it's interesting that in the same way that Paul was addressing external cultural um, compromise, brokenness in Romans, the same thing is happening in 1 Corinthians. And, And he is concerned with ways that the church, the people of God, have compromised and aligned with the culture around them. And so he's addressing that issue. He's also addressing the fact that the church, while it is experiencing power on one level, right? First Corinthians, we see a lot of of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and they are operating within the Corinthian church. And so we see the power of the Spirit on one level and yet this church is experiencing a lot of selfishness and disunity. And so, so Paul is writing a letter to address both the cultural compromises of the church, but also just the inherent selfishness and disunity within the church. Man, that's not relevant to the Church of America at all. So it's with this backdrop that Paul begins to address his great concern for the church. So I want to I want to lay a little bit of a foundation here um, in First Corinthians chapter twelve. Okay, because he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to work in a powerful way to bring unity and healing in the church and for the church to then be empowered to be a light to the culture, right? So the Spirit does a lot of this work. And what, what, I, what I hope you see as we read through this is that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's love to change and transform our lives is like this. It's like that. It, if you ever see a place where there's love, but the Spirit of God is not present, moving in powerful ways, then we need to seriously question, is that really love? Is that really the love that God brings? Or if we see the power of God at work, and yet we see a mess, and we see people's character not even reflecting necessarily, you know, miraculous, powerful things that are stirring up and getting done. Something is wrong there too. The power of love and the power of the Spirit of God, they're like this. And so that's what Paul is starting to talk about. And so um, 1 Corinthians 12.1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So listen, he's not showing up to say, spiritual matters, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, like we need to shut all that down. It's messed up and y'all are handling this wrong. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let's squash it. Let's turn that off. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I actually want you to fully understand the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that. Okay, so what does he want us to see? Verses four through seven now. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation. That means we can see it, like we can see the power of the Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
the first thing Paul wants to make clear is the reason that the Spirit of God shows up to move in our lives, to work powerfully within his church, it is for the mutual benefit of all. He's already trying to get their attention to say, get outside of your own little bubble. This community that you are in and my spirit that comes and resides in you, it's, he's meant to open your eyes so you really see the body that you are a part of. He wants to operate in your midst for the common good of all. Paul continues to build on this. I'd encourage you, you can read through the entire chapter to get the fullness of this. But skipping down to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Like we are a part of something. I don't even know. Man, I'm sure y'all have heard this taught a lot. I've taught this over the years when when we've spent time talking about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I feel like there's these, these themes or these passages that as followers of Jesus we've heard before, but I wonder if we've really let them take hold of us. Do I really understand what God is saying? Like we, we use the term the family of God. I use that term. I think it's a great way to consider how we're connected with one another. But even that doesn't go to the extreme that saying the body of Christ, using that term, does. Because, you know, with your family, like, sometimes you're together a lot. Maybe some members of the family live in another state. And so, you know, there's levels of distance with each other. But a body is intimately connected. Intimately connected. And so God's saying, listen, or Paul's writing here, speaking on God's behalf to say, listen, my spirit is present and available. I don't want you to be uninformed about the power of my spirit showing up and operating in the church. You're meant to experience the power and presence of my spirit. But this is meant to take place in the context of intimate community. with a realization that I am a part of a whole and I am personally invested in the common good of all. And so as Paul begins to kind of wrap up this groundwork that he's laying, he ends 1 Corinthians 12 with this. And, and I want to start here because, you know, in our minds, I think what happens over time is we've gotten so accustomed to the numbers that are in the Bible, right? Like there's the next chapter, there's the verses. It helps us categorize it. It helps us find our place easily. We can all agree to like meet on that page at that spot, you know, because we have these numbers. But you do realize like Paul didn't write this letter like there were different chapters to a book. He wasn't like closing one topic and moving to the next. This is seamless for him. And so as we get ready to move into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks so much about love, Paul is saying the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power that he brings and the gifts that he wants to operate within the body, it is connected to this way. And so he wraps up chapter 12 by saying this, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Don't neglect them. And I will show you a still more excellent way. 
Here is the, the proper way, the most excellent way that you are to operate. Here's what the gifts are for. Here's what the Holy Spirit is present to do, is to live this way. And so then he begins to move into chapter 13 now. So listen to this, catch this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The, the power and presence of God can actually be an offensive sound to others if it's not rooted in love. Verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I've got all the solutions that we all need, <laughs> I've got the perfect policy, agenda, game plan. Here's the stuff that'll solve everything. Here's even what it will produce because I've got prophetic power so I can see where it'll take us. If I have all understanding, all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm missing out a little bit. I'm so close, but not quite there. I am nothing. I, I wish that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America was as obsessed with being rooted in love as we are with being rooted in power. The church in America has an obsession with power. And it's the wrong power. We need to be obsessed with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ like we talked about last week as the only hope for this broken world. And we need to be consumed with a desire for the power of God's love to operate in our lives personally and in the church corporately. What if we were obsessed with that? What Paul is saying is that all this power follows it. All the things we want and we crave, we're putting the cart before the horse. We're fighting for something out here and God's saying, listen, this comes by my people being saturated in my presence and being people of love. Look, he goes on. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, there's even places in the church where we've substituted like looking really good externally because, you know, I'm about the poor, I'm about social justice or whatever. But it's more about an ideology and how I look than actually being rooted in the love of God, then it's for nothing. So whether I'm fighting for power or I'm helping the most powerless, if the motivating force in my life is not the love of God, I'm missing it. I can live the life of a martyr and I'm missing it if I'm not rooted in love. This is what God is after. Listen, gosh, there's so much I wanna say this morning. Okay, it's all connected, so I wanna say that clearly. But if the power of the gospel is the thing that pulls us out of and rescues us from the broken patterns of this world, 
and the broken patterns that have existed in my own life. Like if it's the gospel that pulls me out of that, it breaks me free of that old way of living. The gospel doesn't stop there. Like we've been brought out of that so we can step into something new. Guys, when the early church was soaking up the teaching of the apostles, they understood that they were being taught a whole new way to be a human being. There's the broken way that's destructive. And here's the new way that God offers. And so the new way of becoming who we were meant to be is learning to live out of love. That's the new way. Walking in the love of God. Being people where love permeates our lives. The way of Jesus and the power of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit is all about love. As Bob Goff puts it, we should be becoming love. We should be becoming love. We read, we read through one of his books a little while back as a staff, um, Everybody Always. Y'all heard of that book? Everybody. We used to joke around, we just called it Some People Sometimes. And the reason we joked about that is because that's actually what I do. That's actually what I do. Some people sometimes, right? That's where we all are on this journey of becoming love. But this is, this is the aim of our Christian walk. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, Jake, you're saying that, but like, what's that rooted in? Okay, let's get into some scripture and see how God is calling us into the way of love, to become love. This is, this is the mission of our life now here on earth, is letting the love of God permeate us and change us. I wanna just read through this next chunk of scripture here. 1 Corinthians 13, four through verse eight, first part of verse eight. I want you to let these words sink in. If, if you've spent a lot of time in church, you've heard this. Maybe as I read it, you can almost start quoting it. But in, in this few verses here, Paul is defining for us what love looks like as God defines it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Friends, if we're gonna decide that I, I want to live this new way of being human, I, I want to live out the way of love. I wanna walk in that. The very next decision we have to make is how do we define the word love? What kind of love? See, love gets talked about a lot. It gets talked about in Christian circles. It gets talked about in the world. I think most of us believe and agree that love is of utmost importance. And the world's craving it, right? I mean, the world sings love's praises. They sing about it. It's all we need is love. 
We long for its healing touch. But here's here's what's sad to me. For many of us Christians, what happens is when we purpose to walk in love, the very world that needs the love of God, we let that culture try to tell us what love is. We look to the culture around us to define love for us. Instead of looking to the very God who's brought us out of an old way of living and thinking to say, God, how do you define this? How do you define love? And then God, let that be so of me. Let that be who I am, what I'm becoming. God, how do you define love? And the problem is for me is when we hear love, like when you hear Pastor Jay's gonna preach a sermon on love, you might even immediately go into this like, well, this is gonna be one of those kind of like emotional, lovey-dovey, good feelings, good vibes to people message. Now, I'm not saying love doesn't touch our emotions. When I'm being loved well, man, it does affect my emotions. But, but we've allowed the way our culture defines love to just permeate our subconscious and define love for us, often in ways that are at least leaving some things out, if not completely getting it wrong. And so when God defines love, he defines it in a, in a tangible, concrete way. And so we see it here in this passage, descriptions of what love is like. It, it changes how I operate, how I carry myself, how I treat other people, how I handle what's happening in the world around me. And love is connected with truth. Did you see that in the passage that we read? Love rejoices with the truth. They go hand in hand. Now, this biblical definition of love, it is essential It is essential for us if we're gonna fulfill our calling as followers of Jesus to have this get down inside of us. So I I wanna turn to another passage of scripture that might be very familiar to you, but guys, it gives us direction on how we do this. It gives us direction on how more and more we become people of love. Because Paul is not the only one that talks about love. Jesus did. And, and this, what we're going to read out of Matthew 22, all, all of the different gospels record some aspect of this same thing. This stood out to the disciples that, that Jesus said this. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. A teacher of the law, like one of the scribes and Pharisees, comes to him and says to Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then here's the the whole thing right here. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the whole thing Jesus said. Love for God, love for other people. And he defines it in a really clear way. He says, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is not a halfway thing. This is not a halfway thing. Love God. I love how Dallas Willard puts this. The key then to loving God is to see Jesus, to hold him before the mind 
with as much fullness and clarity as possible. It is to adore him. Friends, if you want to know where to start in learning to be who God's called us to be, if, if you would like to see the church return to its needed place in the world as a force of power to bring healing and hope and change, it starts right there. It starts with looking to the one who is love. Study him. And not just study him, like not just fill our head with information. Adore him. Let who he is get down inside of us. So friends, one of, the, one of the primary things we can do, and listen, this is so practical. Take passages like this and read it as a description of who Jesus is. See, when I first approach 1 Corinthians 13, when I first read it, I just notice a lot of failure on my part. I mean, I couldn't get past the first line. Love is patient, I'm already out. Okay, well, what's the next one? Maybe I'll improve there. Love is kind. Well, messed that one up already today too. But, but if I approach this and say, okay, first and foremost, God, this is who you are. Jesus, you are the God who is love. So what this tells me is you are patient. Man, Lord, you've been so patient in my life. You've been patient with me. You give me fresh start after fresh start. He's kind. He's not envious or boastful. God doesn't have to puff himself up in arrogance. He's not like that. And so see, I take passages like this and I go, Jesus, let me see you for who you are. And then we don't just have to take descriptive words. Like look at the life of Jesus. Look at love on display. And notice in every instance, he's loving people. So when Jesus tells, you know, the woman caught in adultery, where are your accusers? Neither, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. When he extends mercy to her, that's an act of love. When Jesus goes into the temple and makes a cord of whips and flips over tables and like cleans house, that's an act of love. When he heals a cripple, that's an act of love. When he calls out a Pharisee, that's an act of love. Let's adore him. Let him fill our, our mind. In other words, let's fall in love with God for who he truly is. If love is gonna permeate my life, I've gotta receive it from the one who is love. And so the place that we start is in loving relationship with Jesus absorb descriptive words like these. Absorb the life of Jesus into your heart. Look at the one who is love and just love him for who he is. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. See, I can use my intellect to understand God's love. Man, my, my soul, the part of me that just aches to see real love in this world, I can see it in Jesus. And so let his love permeate my life. Then we move into the practical second part because love is not just something we absorb, it's something we give out. You know, Jesus didn't separate loving God and loving people. 
He saw them as a united, complete thought. And so love begins to, to be put into action in our lives. So how do we do that? I want, to, I want y'all to see the reconnection back to the presence of God in our life, to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is now from Galatians chapter five. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter, but we're gonna read verse 16, then verses 22 and 23, and then verses 25 and 26. Paul, same guy writing to the Corinthians, says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes on and describes a lot of other words that that kind of define what love is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So not only does love fulfill the law, there's no law out there that is opposed to biblical love. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Guys, this, this connects both forms of love. In other words, as God's love permeates our lives, as I spend time around him, I adore him, I'm taking him in, his spirit is within me. And the true work of his spirit's presence in my life is to transform my character. It's to transform my character. That is first and foremost what God is up to. He wants to produce love in me. And so places where the Holy Spirit shows up in my life with giftedness, you know, to pray with someone and see healing, to speak a word of prophetic encouragement into somebody's life, even just some of the, the gifts like hospitality. Like as the Holy Spirit shows up and is, is, is giving me gifts, the real power of those is gonna be as my character is transformed and defined by love. I've said this before and I won't stop saying it. If, if the fruit of the Spirit is not operating in your life, people will not want to experience the gifts of the Spirit flowing through your life. If they don't like the fruit, they won't receive the gift. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to produce godly character in us. That love may permeate and flow out of us. Dallas Willard again. Jesus does not call us to do what he did. See, if we, if we start reading this as a list of things to do, we miss it. He didn't call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. See, I, I do believe that the world needs to experience some of the power that we see in Jesus' life. Jesus walked around and like people didn't just have sort of like random forgetful encounters with him. When people met Jesus, they met God. They were forgiven, they were healed, they were set free. But I think the church has done a lot of questioning of like why don't we see that stuff? Or we hear of pockets within the church community where that stuff is happening and we're skeptical of it. 
But if we started at love and let the love of God and the presence of God permeate our lives, then suddenly when I'm interacting with the church, when I'm not interacting with the world around me, God's saying, hey, I've entrusted you with my love and you are a carrier of it. Therefore, I can entrust you with this gift because you're gonna use it not to promote yourself, not to feel better about how powerful your faith is, but you're gonna be motivated by love for people. And so I can entrust you with this gift to touch that life for my kingdom purposes. It's the power of love that's needed in the church. Guys, I wanna encourage you, if you take nothing else from today, I wanna encourage you to soak up these words we've read in 1 Corinthians 13. Soak them up as a description of Jesus. Sit and adore him this week, today even. God, let me see you for who you really are and then invite him to permeate your life. See, the way we begin to cooperate and let this stuff work out of us, when I read that love is patient and I know that I'm not, then right there there's a moment to say, okay, Lord, I'm getting real with you right now. I am not a patient person. And instead of just kind of quickly and laughingly brushing past that and going, oh, well, I'm impatient. It's just part of who I am. Lord, would you forgive me of my impatience? Would you forgive me? Would you give me a fresh start there? Holy Spirit, you're present in me. Would you help me to do what I can't on my own? Holy Spirit, would you grow patience in my life? Would you grow that in me? Would you, would you stop me in my tracks when I'm about to respond quickly or in anger? God, would you, would you stop me? Lord, when you remind me after the fact that I've blown it, may I be quick to repent? But Holy Spirit, would you come and would you permeate my heart with love? God, would you help me be a more patient person so I can love well? It, this isn't just a vague, like, let's think about how lovely God is and let's try to be more lovely ourselves. This is about relationship with him. This is about knowing and walking with Jesus and him rubbing off on us, him filling us, him abiding in us. And so then it's love that comes out. All right, so the true power of love. I wanna wrap up with a couple thoughts here. The true power of love. If I've understood its definition, I'm letting it begin to permeate and take hold. If, if I'm recognizing that this is a new way of living, I'm rejecting an old self-focused way, and I'm accepting a new way of living, then, then what, what is the true nature, the power of this love? 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You know what the real power of love is? It lasts. It's eternal. All these other things in my life that I can pursue that I can focus on, areas where I grow myself or 
just things I pursue in this life, so many of the things that we adore, you probably don't use the word adore to describe a lot of the things that you do and focus on, but that which holds your attention is what you adore. That which holds your gaze, that which fills your thoughts, that which you spend your time pursuing, that is what you adore. And and part of what Paul is insisting here is that we understand the real power of love is that any time that I invest in love, it has an eternal, everlasting reward. When I let my own character sit before God and I let him change, transform, shape my heart, that's eternal work. Who I'm becoming, it's eternal work. God's doing something in me. He's shaping me. He's molding me. When I'm spending time with Jesus and I'm I'm adoring him, that's eternal work. You know why? Because I'm going to spend eternity with him. And you know what I'm going to do in heaven? I'm going to worship like all the time. I confess to you as as a person who's spent most of my life in church, large chunks of my life, when I read what's going to take place in heaven, I think, man, that sounds a little boring. I've thought that. Like, wait, we're going to sing like forever? Man, I, I don't know if I'm into that. Do you realize nobody's making us sing forever? It's what we want to do. Because when we see how amazing he is, we can't help but declare it. God, you're incredible. And so we're gonna get to see him fully and completely forever. But friends, we can grow in that this side of heaven. We're meant to. It's what fills us with life and helps us experience the joy that he has for us here and now. I can have a taste of eternity here. I can experience the presence of God and the power of his love. And then here's what's really exciting I'm now carrying around a secret. I'm carrying around something that everyone wants and has no idea how to get their hands on. And as I let God's love change and permeate my life, as I'm cooperating with eternity, then when I carry around his love and I get to spread it, I get to share it, I'm giving someone else a taste of eternity. I'm giving someone else something that will last. I, there's times where I, like, I want to share stories and examples, and then I'm just, I, I want to share a story. And I always hesitate because I don't ever want to sound like I'm going, hey, look at me. Because a lot of my life, I get this stuff wrong. But just in a, in a passing moment this week, communicating with, with an old friend of mine that I've known since childhood, we're texting about other things. And then all of a sudden, I just get this unexpected text where he changes the subject. He goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know, this moment in my life, this one evening where you invited me to go to this one thing where we spent time with Jesus, that changed my life. I didn't teach him anything. I didn't pray some important prayer. I simply said, want to come with. 
And he came with me that night and he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. And I had no idea until he texted me this week to tell me. That was over 20 years ago. If we could become convinced how special, how important, how lasting investments in love are, we would do it more. The problem is, we live in an instant gratification society. I gotta have it right here, right now. And I need the immediate hit back that, oh, that felt good. And, and we miss out on what really lasts, what's really satisfying. Guys, the love of God can permeate our lives. Our hearts can be captured by how good and rich he is how incredible his love is in my life. And if I just spend time with him, I don't have to go out with my list every day of how I'm gonna be good. If I just spend time with him, he fills my vision. He permeates my heart. His love gets rooted into me and I just become a carrier of it. And I begin to realize when I'm interacting with you guys, you're me. We're connected. We're a family. We're a part of a body. Patrick, what's happening with you? Man, that's connected to me. When you're down, I need to be right down there with you. When you're up, I'm celebrating with you. Like, we're connected. And I can begin to see I'm not the answer for everything, but I get to play a part in all that God is doing right here in the midst of church relationships and externally in the world around me. Man, if we could catch a vision for this. I want to just skip all the way down to verse 11 now, Jacob. Here's kind of the summation of all of this. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What's he saying? The natural course of my human life is to move towards maturity. And he's now making that connection in our spiritual lives. He, he's connecting love with maturity. We're, we're meant to become mature in love. We're meant to grow in it. We're meant to practice it. I like that word mature because, you know, perfect is unattainable. <laughs> but I can be further along six months from now than where I am today. I can step into more and more maturity. And so the longer I walk with him, the longer I purpose that I want the way of love to be the focus of my life, I can grow and I can mature. And friends, the world needs some mature Christians. We need people who are rooted primarily in character first. And then any gifts that we have, they can last. 
I don't, I don't want to disparage anyone or get sidetracked on anything, but I, I just want to say in more of a broad sense, over and over and over again, we see Christian leaders stumble and fall. And there's a lot we can consider about that along the way. But I think one of the primary issues in the church is that we have promoted because of giftedness first instead of character first. We need to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Our character needs to continue to grow and develop into maturity, that we are known by our love. And then whatever giftedness God wants to give us can have a real and lasting impact in the world. I'm not saying we won't make mistakes. We will. But who we are matters far more than what we do or accomplish. And if we worry about who we are, what we do and accomplish will take care of itself. Is this making sense? To wrap this up, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That's what, I'm, that's what I was talking about. I can get glimpses of his love now, but man, what stands for eternity is me seeing him fully for who he is. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Friends, mature and abiding love is the goal. We've been rescued out of an old way of living, old patterns of this world that Jesus paid a lot to rescue us out of. And he brought us out of that darkness into his glorious light, and it is the light of his love. He wants us to experience more and more fully every day his love in our life. And his desire is that our character would be transformed, that we would be defined and known to be people of love, and that it would be a mature and abiding love. Friends, we need it. My home, my wife and my kids, they need me to be mature and abounding in love. There should have been an amen from the Spencer row over there. They need that. They need that. Friends, our church, this body right here, we need each other. We need a group of people committed to maturing and abiding in love. Man, how rich and full. I'm, I'm not saying it isn't already. I'm just saying how much more rich, how much more full would our experience be as a body of believers if we were maturing and abounding in love towards God and one another? How might the world be touched like that? I wonder what would happen in our country. You know, all these prayers that we pray and all these things that we long for, hoping for revival. The church needs to be revived. And we need to be revived by having a real encounter with the love of God that radically transforms us. That this world might get a taste and a glimpse of the true love of God. That's the solution. And if our country could see a church that loved Jesus and that Jesus' love was so permeating that if they could get a real taste of that, they already want it. The world wants it desperately. Let's start right here. 
May we grow and mature in love. May Jesus fill our vision as we adore him. And as we soak him in, may our lives soak up his love and then give it away to others. It's my prayer for us. Talked about the power of the gospel last Sunday. Talking about the power of the love this morning. Next week, we're talking about the power of community. The church has got to break free of the culture we live in. We have to. And the antidote to the culture that we live in is a community of Jesus-loving people. We crave culture. We look for somewhere to, to soak it up, to feel connected, to feel apart. And if we don't find that in Jesus' community, we will grab it from the world around us. All right? So that's where we're heading next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your incredible love towards us. Lord, I feel like we've just barely even scratched the surface. We could talk about your love forever. And the truth is we're going to experience your love forever. And so God, I just pray that today would be another marker for us, another moment in our lives where just a little bit more we get a glimpse of you. God, may, may we understand that there's a whole new way of living that you're calling us into. God, may we be open to the possibility that we've been missing out, even just partially. And so God, we look to you for the true definition of love. God, I pray that we would learn to adore you. There is so much fighting for our time and our attention and our focus. God, if, if we would just carve out space to adore you, man, how much would our lives change as your love fills our life, fills our heart, fills our vision. God, I, I pray for my own heart. Pray for my friends' hearts here this morning. Lord, I pray for our church, the body of Grace Chapel here in Knoxville. Lord, I pray for your, your church in the United States of America and around the globe, God, that, that we would have a revival rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. May the God of love be the king of our lives, not in word, but in actuality. May the God of love be in charge of our lives, and may we grow and mature and abound in your love, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence to produce fruit that lasts, that's eternal. Thank you that you do empower us and gift us to have an impact. God, may we always be rooted and grounded in your love, first and foremost and always. In Jesus' name we pray this morning, amen. Amen.